0: Father, we thank you that you are capable of doing that. We need you to do that. There are those who today that just need your touch. Make it really, really clear to them. And tomorrow, somebody else is going to need that touch. Make it really clear to them. Thank you so much for being there with us for you Our Emmanuel, God with us. We're grateful in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well done, Simon and team. Thank you so much for that. Just really, really excellent. All right kiddos, you like to go to kids' worship, we'll be glad for you to go and to hear what God has for you this morning, and uh, we're going to hear what God has for us here today. So uh, let me start off with some thank yous. I'm um, important to do that, and I need to do it more often. But uh, so I have some thank yous from our um, missionaries who have just been here. If we can get the slides on the back screen there for me, Hayden. Thank you very much. We had Warren and Carol Cheek here and EDA, was here last week. So let me just show what they wrote, what came back to me. All right, so from Warren and Carol Cheek with the United Indian Ministries, also Frontier School of the Bible in LaGrange, Wyoming. And uh, I've known Warren and Carol since my days at Western Bible College, uh, 1978 in uh, the Denver area. So here's what they wrote. Dear Pastor Scott and Alicia and Saints of Majestic Baptist Church, thank you so much for all you did for us the weekend of 6, 11, and 12. We enjoyed visiting with you and participating in the morning services. Your hospitality was such a blessing. Thanks for the very generous offering. Our time at Camp Salvation down by La Vida went very well as we interacted with the staff and team campers. So uh, thank you so much, and I'll share with you more of the offerings just in a moment. And this is from Ida. Uh, Ida is from uh, Albania, sharing together. We met her five or six years ago as we went to uh, Bosnia to see my son when they were missionaries in Sarajevo. And uh, we had the opportunity to be a part of their life. Ida and Osgon, Arbion, Anya, and the third one, I can't remember her name. But uh, here's what she wrote. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott. I'm humbled. I'm so humbled and blessed by God's provision and y'all's generosity. We're going to pick that up right there. They probably don't say that in Albania. <laughs> I absolutely loved experiencing your church family on Sunday. I was able to meet with Jim and Jan Satterwhite and their neighbor, Barbara Cole, and then met with Dave Feemster today. Lovely people and a blessing to spend time with them. I also got an email address to add to our prayer list. Let's keep the communication open about the possibility of sending a team to Albania. Who knows what God might do there. As I was telling Dave Feemster, we will pray for you guys, that God will guard and protect your community, grow with you even more in unity with each other, and that he will continue to use you in Pueblo and beyond with a grateful heart, Eda. Wow. Well done. All right, so I want to celebrate with you, my happy guys here. I love that guy. He's just going to keep showing up. So uh, let me show you. Go to the next slide, if you would, Aiden. So I want to tell you, I want to share with you we don't always give this information. I need to do it more often. But I'm telling you what you've given over the past four or five months. Out of your pocket. Extra. rather than Over and above your general fund giving, we put the buckets out there. This is what you've given. For the cheats, as they were with us. So you gave $783 that day to support their ministry. For EDA and their ministry, you gave $1,428. We had, during VBS, you gave... $1,885. 1600 of that was given by the kids through uh, the opportunity to give through VBS. And then we had others that we were able to give to it. Other people gave that morning to be able to give to that. The McDowell's were here in May, May 15th. Uh, they serve in Malaysia, Pioneer Bible Translators. And uh, you gave $1,272. Two weeks before that, the 5th of May 1st, you gave $1,903 to the Gideon ministry to buy Bibles to go all across the world. Student camp, you gave $10,000 plus to be able to help those 52 kids go to camp, scholarship them to be able to make that possible. I don't even know the number on that. It's probably 2000 more than that. And then also on Super Bowl Sunday, when we do the Super Bowl of Caring Offering, you gave $22,31 so that we could build a shed at Oakwood Estates, the mission that's taking place out there and out by the airport in the Momo Home Park. And uh, that's just over the last five months, that's just out of your back pocket and your front pocket. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. I think it's incredible. What, the way you reach out and the way you support the mission, many missionaries, As you know, we do 15% to our own cooperative pro- program. We do 4.5% to our own association. And then we support about 30 missionaries beyond that. Just like these missionaries right here, all of those are missionaries that we support on a monthly basis to be able to take care of them. But I want to add to that now. Because our giving has been so good, we've been able to do some extra giving. We gave $3,000 just a few weeks ago to the IMB Send Relief efforts in Ukraine to be able to help our missionaries there to have money, to be able to do the work they need to do to take care of those refugees that are coming out. Uh, in May, we were able to give $1,000 to Caring Pregnancy Center to be a sponsor for the banquet that's coming up on September 9th. You can sign up for that banquet. You can be a part of it. We buy the tables. We buy those tables. They're $50 a person. We have four tables. so That's 40, 40 uh, people that can come. And then we buy those tables so you can give generously to be able to, to be a part of that ministry. And we, certainly we know with, with things that have happened with Ro, Roe v. Wade and everything there, The opportunity now is even greater for the pregnancy centers. We have a bigger responsibility to be able to take care of ladies and men who are coming for help. So you can be a part of that and come into that. You can sign up, take the connection card, and say you want to go to that banquet. Lee Strobel is the speaker this year. Case for Christ, Case for Easter, Case for Christmas, all the books that he wrote. Award-winning Pulitzer Prize winner. He was a a great uh, um, writer in the Chicago area for one of the Chicago newspapers. Was get, sought out to prove Christ and the resurrection did not exist. And guess what happened to him? <laughs> he found out it, it really is true. Jesus Christ did, raised from the dead, right? Came forth. And uh, so now he speaks. Now he's pastored. He's loved on people. Keep writing books. So. Sign up for that. It'll be great. We already have a table and a half, maybe two tables full. If you want to be a part of that, let us know. But we we're able to give a $1,000 today. We give a $1,000 to Crazy Face Street Ministry. Lonnie and Tammy Kynes, many of you know them. You participate in their ministries. They hit the streets and they take people from their their despair and their difficult times and they help them get treatment for, for addiction and then they can be released and be, be able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They're doing a great job. We are able to do that. And in March we gave $3,000 to Lake Avenue Mission. The Mission team Missouri team was just here staying at our churches last week. Went down to see them on Thursday to see the work that God's doing down there. Man, it's amazing what's taking place as we're revamping Lake Avenue Baptist Church, given to our own association and redoing it and, and, and painting it and putting in carpet and new the kitchen and this team was here. We gave $3,000 to help those things take place. That's where your money's going when you give to the Lord. That is so exciting. To be able to be a part of a church that is so generous in your regular giving, to be able to do what we do and then just reaching down in your pocket. We're not going to have a special offering today. All right? Just so you know. I'm not setting you up for anything today. Okay? (laughs) But the buckets are back there. As you go out, put your cards in there. Put your offering in there. Continue to do the work we sang a song earlier It said this. I know it's not specifically to giving, but listen. God of mercy, sweet love of mine, I have surrendered to your design. May this offering stretch across the skies and these hallelujahs be multiplied. Now, I know it's talking about praise the Lord there, but it does talk about offerings, right? And our offerings are being multiplied all across the world. So... Thank you so much for your faithful giving. Thank you. It's just amazing to me. 20 years here and you guys have taken care of so many people and needs and the gospel going out all over the world. Thank you for being a part of the team. What a privilege to serve with you and to be a part of what God's doing. Thank you. All right. I only have to do this once today, so I hope I do it good, okay? (laughs) You don't get a second try when you only got one service. So here we go. We're in the book of Ruth. If you don't have it open, grab it on your phone, your tablet, Bible right in front of you. It's after Judges, and uh, God's doing a good one. Here's the storyline, all right? As I put it together, as I I thought about it, presented this a couple weeks to you, the storyline. A need brings a move, the move brings death. The deaths bring a move. The move brings help. The help brings marriage. The marriage brings a child. The child brings a king. And through a king comes Jesus. <laughs> That's Ruth. That's the book of Ruth going all the way through as I've put into my own words the storyline that is there. As I said, it's a story of goodness. It's a story of grief. We talked about that the last couple weeks. We'll touch on it just a little bit this morning. It's a story of God's grace, and it's a story of His guidance. So this morning we're going to read, and we'll start in verse 15 right in there, chapter 1 of there. So while you're doing that, let me ask you, how did your reading of Ruth go this week? How many read Ruth this week? It's getting better. It's getting better. Well, that's because we put everybody together. That's probably it, all right? I encourage you, take the time to read through the book. Even as I was reading it last night, going through it, it's like, oh, I haven't seen that before. Hmm, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I see. No, oh, yeah. Keep reading it, because you're going to see new things that are going to come out to you. Underline, circle, whatever it takes to bring these things out to you. Repeated words, things like that. Just... Keep reading it. Take time to do it. We'll be through the book in a couple more years, okay? So you'll, you'll be able to go on to something else, right? <laughs> but just take the time to read the book. 15 minutes, 16 minutes. And I know God's going to use it. it would be valuable to you. So we'll give you a start right here, all right? We're not going to go the whole way like we did a few weeks ago, but we'll start in verse 15 as Naomi and Ruth are together. And she said, being Naomi... See, your sister-in-law has gone back to your people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you. I will return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Hey, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said, them, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of his reapers, whose young woman is that? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. I think we'll be able to get that far this morning. I've had a little bit of fun with my outline, as you can see in the bulletin there. Tried to make it kind of a little little, uh, enjoyable. But the journey to Bethlehem is a journey. The journey to Bethlehem is a journey. The decisions have been made. Naomi says, I'm going back to Bethlehem, my home. Orpah, the sister, says, I'm going back to Moab, my home. And Ruth says, I'm going to Bethlehem with Naomi because I'm going to have a new home. The decisions have been made. I gave you this quote just a few weeks ago from Amelia Earhart, who said this, The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. The most difficult thing is the decision to act the rest is just tenacity. And if anybody knew that, that would have been Amelia Earhart on all that she did. Naomi and Ruth put their tenacity and they travel to Bethlehem back to the house of bread that now has bread. Because they left years ago because the house of bread had no bread. One thing I learned from Kathy Samuel's book, Miriam, really excellent. Excellent. What do you call it? Novel? Is that what it is? About Mary and and she's looking at scripture, really, really good book. And I don't know why it never dawned on me, but when they traveled in that day, they travelled in caravans. We we can safely assume that Naomi and Ruth didn't get on the road and start traveling all by themselves. As women, they wouldn't have done that. You know what they did? They went down to the caravan station and they bought a ticket. And they got together with a group of people that were on their way to maybe Bethlehem or to other spots between where they're at in Moab and Bethlehem. My best estimate, looking at the maps, taking a little card and going, that's 30 miles, that's 30 miles, that's 30 miles. My best estimate, because we don't know exactly where they were in Moab, but best estimate I can come up with is about 100 miles. Okay, so that means, I don't know, seven to 10 days. You're doing 15 to 17, 18 miles a day, which is roughing it pretty good, right? So seven to 10 days, let's just say. hundred miles, somewhere in there, seven to 10 days. And of course, it depends on how many rest areas they had to stop at and McDonald's they had to stop at too, right? On their way to get there. You're having fun, good. This is good, I'm huh? connected. Because I've had fun with this this week. It's just amazing to me that that they do that. They traveled like that. Uh, Today, I'm going to Lake City, Colorado, afterwards. I'm taking my seven grandkids. It's about 250 miles or so. But, you know, we, we just get in a car, and we have plenty of places to stop and get food and everything else. Here in this day, they don't have those things. And they do these journeys and they travel together to be able to get to where they're going. That's why I say the journey to Bethlehem is a journey. This is not easy to do. Now, as one author says as I was reading through this, uh, Gordon Fee, and guys in Thursday morning or Thursday night or Wednesday night Bible study will recognize that name because he's a guy that we look at all the time as we look through the book of Revelation. He says this, you have to remember this is a narrative. And a narrative, as this person is writing, they don't give all the details. I mean, it wouldn't be four chapters if they did right? They don't give all the details. What they do is, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, as they're recalling what took place here, they give the details that are really, really important to what they want to develop as the Spirit is guiding them. And so we don't have all the details here. We have to read between the lines to come up with some of those. But but I can not say this, as we go into chapters 2, 3, and 4, it's going to get more detailed than what it has been in chapter 1. They get to and I put, the welcome in Bethlehem is interesting. <laughs> the welcome in Bethlehem is interesting. So the two of them went on, verse 19. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. I don't exactly know what they mean by the word stirred when this author uses that. Uh, excitement, it could have been excitement. It could have been um, uh, kind of the, whoa, what's going on here? The whole town. Now, now remember, probably at this time, the whole town is about a 1,000 people. Okay, I didn't like Pueblo West, 33,000, you know, 634 people. Pueblo, 100,000. We're talking about probably a town of about a 1,000 people. I looked it up. The population right now is about 854. Now I've been to Bethlehem, and I can tell you this about Bethlehem. There's a lot more people than 854 people there. Because there's about 19 buses there every day going into the church where they believe Jesus was born. Okay? Like I'm going to Lake City today and 400 people in the wintertime. There'll be about 1,500 people there today because it's July 4th and all the Texans are there and the Oklahomans are there. <laughs> they're getting out of the heat and they're coming to the cool, right? It's a small town. Some of you know that small town. You grew up in a small town. Matter of fact, a thousand might have been a big town to you, right? but it's a small town but the whole town knows something about her says the women are i think he says the women are curious they say is this naomi <laughs> it's been at least 10 years remember it's been at least 10 years since they've seen naomi and she's probably aged a bit with the deaths of her husband and two sons and take this into consideration she just made a 7 to 10 day journey back I'm sure that she doesn't look as nice as she would like to look after seven or ten days, a hundred miles traveling during that time. Naomi replies, what? Don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly, with me, I, I went away full. I had a husband, two sons, and I come back to you now by myself. Well, I do have Ruth with me, but but as you know me, I have come back by myself. Now the question I have again: I looking, seeing. Do the women know what has happened to Naomi? Does the town know what has happened to Naomi? They they're questioning. They're curious about who she is. They see her now without Elimelech and she left with him and her son so they might suspect that they observe her countenance as a widow was different than when she went away as a wife because it does impact you. My guess is that they knew what had happened because even then, before texting and Facebook, news traveled far and fast. <laughs> you think what we'd know today, but somehow probably news has got back to them about what has taken place to Naomi. But I know this from the text, what we read in the text, in verses 12 and 20 and 21. Naomi's heart hasn't softened during the journey back to Bethlehem. She's still a hurt. She's still angry. She's still bitter. In that stage of grief, but as one author says, and I'll cover it a little bit more when we get to the end, he says, in, in the words she uses about the Lord and Almighty, that there seems to be a hint of hope in her voice. I came across this statement a couple weeks ago. thought it was good because she's in, a, she's in a, a, a lament state here. And an author divides, said this. It said, lament is our soul's ugly cry as we wrestle with God's promises in contrast to our current realities. Let me give that to you again. Lament is our soul's ugly cry as we wrestle with God's promises in contrast to our current realities. We spent a couple weeks talking about that, but but it's still there as we work through the things that you're working through and, and I'm working through we lament we ask god why we go before him as our cry before him as we wrestle with him about what has taken place in our lives the arrival in bethlehem is to say the least interesting but the arrival in bethlehem is also at harvest time as it says in verse 22 they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest would have taken place in April, late April, or May. Wheat harvest comes after that. But that's when they would harvest barley that was before them. And talking about the barley harvest sets the stage for chapters 2, 3, and 4. The mention of Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a so worthy man of the clan of Elamlech, whose name was Boaz. The mention of him there sets the stage for what's going to happen in chapters 2, 3, and 4. Had a little fun with this. And I'll tell you this, that both Ruth and Boaz are going to be outstanding in the field during the barley harvest. <laughs> you guys were on today. This is good. Stay for the second service, okay? It'll be even better. <laughs> They're going to be outstanding in the field in the barley harvest. Now, think of this again. Just just thinking about this, the first chapter, the first chapter encompasses at least ten years. It says that they were there at least ten years. But as we go through chapters two, three, and four, it probably just encompasses a few days, even maybe a few weeks at the most. You can see how much more detail is coming into chapters two, three, and four. But but again, thinking through chronologically through a book, thinking about how much time it takes. We we read it. It takes us 15 minutes to read it, and we go through it, and we, we don't think through the fact. Man! There's a lot right there, but it took 10 years for that to happen. And now in the next three chapters, it's going to happen probably in three or four days, maybe two or three weeks, it's going to happen quickly. Everything that this author thinks we need to know that God was guiding them to know. Fourth thing, the arrival of Boaz is in the Lord's time. The arrival of Boaz is in the Lord's time. It introduces him, he's a relative or a kinsman. We're going to talk about the kinsman-redeemer more as we get into it. That's the first thing it says about him. It says he's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. It could be meaning a man of wealth. It could be a man of reputation, a man of valor. I think it means this as it characterizes what we see of Boaz, that he's a man of worthy character, godly character. And Boaz, as I said in our first sermon, the name itself means swiftness. And he's going to be swift. He's going to get things done. More on Boaz as I conclude the sermon. Now back to Ruth. She's the newcomer to Bethlehem who wants to work to support she and her mother-in-law Naomi. Ruth means what? Loyal friend. Loyalty. And we see that in what she says in chapter 1, verses one 15, 16, and 17. I'll go where you go. I'll stay where you stay. I'll die where you die. I'll be a part of your life. And let judgment come to me if I don't do that. Man, that is a real commitment. Ruth says, let me go to the field and glean to pick up the leftover grain. As they would harvest those crops by hand, no big combines, to be able to take care of them that day, there would be things that would be left over. And In the law, the Mosaic law, there was this provision that said, don't pick up all the gleaning. Leave some there. Why? Because the foreigner, the alien, the widow, the orphan, the one who doesn't have a family, they need this food. So leave it so they can come behind. That was what gleaning was. So they could come behind and get what's left and bundle it up and work to have it a part of their life and for their family. Now, she goes out to the field. It's hard work. It's difficult work. And it could be dangerous because one, she's a woman. She is unknown and she is a foreigner. Somebody could seek to take advantage of her in the field. So Ruth gives her permission. She goes and Ruth gets going to the field. She does the work in the gleaning of the field and it says in verse 3 that she set out, went, gleaned in the field after the reapers and she, quote, happened, unquote, to come to the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. El- she didn't know him yet. She knows no, doesn't know who this is. You see, the, the author's setting us up for this soon to be encounter with Boaz, the relative of her father in law. And, verse 4, although it does not use this word, but I think you can see it. And behold, Boaz, I'm inserting a word here, two words, just happened to come to his field that day. Oh, just happened, huh? Hmm. By now, I know that you're saying with me, I think it was more than just happened. I think it was God's guidance because this is a book about God's guidance. Boaz is a trusting man as we see him in verse 5. Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, he'd hired good men good men to take care of his fields. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers, that's emphasized. as a man of trust. She's the young, bold, woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said to me, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Boaz has put this man in charge and Boaz had said to him in some way, communicated to him in some way, you have permission to be able to say yes to people that want to come and to glean. I'm A-okay about that. That's a good boss. That's a good boss. He delegates, he's got good men, part of him, and he trusts them to do the work. Fourth, the study today, for today, is for this time. For today, for us today. Here's what I see in the passage. Number one, Naomi is still struggling with the losses she suffered. Still angry with God. But as one author points out, I mentioned this earlier, there is a hint of hope. You see my outline there. I put this, she's hoping on. (laughs) You might use the term holding on, but I'm going, she's hoping on in the midst of this. She refers to the Lord. But she goes back, she said to them, Don't call me Naomi, in verse 20, chapter 1, 20. Don't call me Mara. For the Almighty, that's the Hebrew word Shaddai, which means powerful one or mountain one, the one with all power, El Shaddai. Amy Grant sang that song back in the 80s, sang it at our wedding, 1982. For the Almighty, El Shaddai, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord, Yahweh, has brought me back empty, Don't call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty, the powerful one, the one who makes the mountains, has brought calamity upon me. Now, although she's in a lament here and and she's saying God has allowed this to happen, I I think as one author says, there's hope there. She's still calling on the name of the Lord, even though it's not in the praise and the hallelujahs. But it's recognizing that he's a part of her life, even in the hard times. She's hoping on in the midst of the difficult times. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe your lament does have the Lord's name in it and it's not all out of fun and games and everything, but it's there for you. And you're hoping on, you're holding on to Him because you know what He can do. You know He allows these things. The Lord gives and He takes, Job says, right? We know that these things come, but you know that in those things that come, He's still there for you. As I prayed earlier, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Let's try that again. He is Emmanuel, God with us. There's hope. There's hope. Secondly, thinking about Boaz. What does it say of Boaz? He is a worthy man. As I said before, I think it's talking about his character. Who he is in his character. We're going to learn a lot more about him as you read each week in chapters 2, 3, and 4. But I love that term. He's a worthy Characters, a man who is worthy. That's a description every man should seek. Amen, brothers. Every one of us should seek to be called worthy men because it certainly beats being called a worthless man. (laughs) A worthy man. Every one of us, every brother here, women too, but every man, we should we should move that way that we would be called worthy by God. Who are worthy of his? Our characters worthy of him, and brings honor to him, and, and brings the joy to his heart. I notice again how he treats his workers in verse four and five. He comes to them and he says to them, "The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you." He doesn't come to them and say, "How many bundles have you made today? How come you're not working hard enough? What's going on around here?" Get with it. Things need to be done around here. I've been watching you. No. He comes to his workers, this worthy man, comes to his workers with a greeting that says the Lord is involved in this, but I also want him to bless you because of your hard work. Man, that's a good boss. That's a good boss. Recognizing they need encouragement, recognizing they need some sustenance in word, encouraging words to help and to encourage them and to help them do it. Now, I'm not saying that as a boss or as a supervisor or a manager, however you're involved, that we don't hold people accountable to do the job they're supposed to do. We have that authority to be able to do that. But we do it with gentleness and with care and with concern and grace. And Boaz demonstrates it there. There is a time to to speak boldly and straightforwardly, of course. But we do it because we care and we want the good of the people around us. I read this this week. A man named, um, maybe you know him, I hope you don't. He's an ex-mob boss, (laughs) so probably you don't know him. But, well, you know, we, we know the mob, mafia used to be here in Pueblo, probably still is. But this guy was in New York. His name is Michael Franzi. He's a former second-generation member of the Colombo Italian-American Mafia crime family in New York. And because he was in that family and because he did things he shouldn't have done, he got sent to prison. And you know what happened in prison? Somebody gave him a Bible. And he started reading that Bible. And guess what happened to him once he started reading that Bible? He got saved, he came to know Jesus Christ, and his life has changed. And here's what he had to say about being a worthy man. He said this, Jesus was direct when he had to be, but he had a knack for communicating with gentleness. Today our culture seems to celebrate men who speak their mind and pull no punches as if being a bully is an admirable trait. On the contrary, Jesus himself said, "'Blessed are the peacemakers,' for they shall be called sons of God. An act of trade is to walk into a room with people that are there that you're working with and to encourage them and to say something like, the Lord bless you, thank you for your serve, I'm glad to be a part of your team. And then there might be a time to say, let's go to work. But to do it in a way that communicates gentleness, grace, and care and concern, even when you have to be bold and straightforward with those who are working with you. Now, I, I think this, I think you probably could understand by the reaction. When he said, The Lord bless you, the worker said back to him, No, well, the Lord be with you, I'm saying. And he answered, The Lord bless you. I've got to kind of goof mixed around there. Second service, I'll do better on that. All right. But something's happened here. Think about it. He says, the Lord be with you, and they answer what? The Lord bless you, right? Something's happened. They know how to respond to what he has given to them. It's kind of like a majestic, if I say to you these words, he is risen. How did you know to do that? A learned response, right? We've gone over it for the last twenty years. A learned response. When we say, or somebody says, "He is risen," you say. And in their situation, when he came to them, and said, "The Lord be Lord be with you." They knew what to say. The Lord bless you, right? They knew to do that. Man, that's sharp. That's good leadership. Not to demand it out of them, but because there's respect. They learn a worthy response that brings honor to him, brings honor to the Lord, and brings honor to themselves. What a beautiful thing in there. As I was looking at that and thinking about that, I realized, I realized a few weeks back, I have not said to you, I love you in a long time. I haven't said to you, I love you, in a long time. And I'm sorry for that. You need to hear that from me. And as I was thinking about that over the past couple weeks, I was reminded of reading about Pastor D. Duke in Jefferson City, Oregon. He's one of my heroes. He's the man that prays for two or three hours a day. That's guided my life to be a man like that to pray. And when he stands up in front of his congregation, every sermon, he says to them, I love you. And you know what they say back to him? I love you. Because here's what their website says. Expect to hear I love you from Pastor D. Duke at the start of each sermon. And for the congregation to say it back. This is a reflection and affirmation of our commitment as a church to love one another. I love you. And I'm glad to serve with you. What a privilege to be a part of your lives and you to be a part of my life. I am so so I think you need to hear that more often from me. <laughs> you can hold me accountable to that. To say to you more often, I love you. And I think that's a part of what Boaz is doing here. Saying to his workers, I love you. We're a part of each other's lives. We're a team together. We're making things happen because the Lord is a part of our lives. Boaz is a worthy man. Ruth is quite the servant. She loses her life with her sister Orpha in Moab to take on a new life with her mother-in-law Naomi in Bethlehem. It's significant. She said, I'm going to go with my mother-in-law. I'm going to start a new life. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. I'm sure, she she said, as they wept together, I'm sure as Orpah went back to Moab, I'm sure there was a sense of grief and of loss that came to her. But she said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve here. This is where I need to go. God has a new life for me. I'm choosing this new God. I'm the God Almighty, El Shaddai, Yahweh. I'm choosing Him to follow Him. Jim Elliot, many of you know the story of Jim Elliot, is being martyred in 1956, the Aka Indians in Ecuador. Kind of put it this way He said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You are no fool if you will give up your life to gain his life because you can't lose that life, God's life. You're a wise man to do that, a wise woman. That's what Ruth does. She loses her life to go and to find God Almighty with her mother-in-law. I think it's interesting as I was looking through this passage that in in chapter 1, 16-18, where Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. My God will be of God. She's saying to her mother-in-law, I'll go with you. But now in chapter 2, verse 2, she says, I'll go for you when she goes to glean. I'm going with you to Bethlehem, but now I'm going to go for you to help provide for us. Some of you know that. Some of you know that decision you've made in your life to, to do something and that's difficult and that's hard, but you need to do it. Maybe like... Um, taking care of somebody who needs to be taken care of because they need to be taken care of and you're the person not easy to do you have to lose your life in a sense to be able to do this to be able to serve or you say you know what this is what i want to do but this is what i need to do i will go and do this because god has called me to be a servant thank you for all you 67 every day 67 people that were here on vacation bible school you gave up a week to be able to serve the Lord and help kids find Jesus Christ. That they were created and designed and empowered. These workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for them to do. Ephesians 2.10, our text. Another part of missionary Ida's, I'm sorry, Ida's how you say it. Um, here's what she wrote in this message to me in her thank you. She said, thank you for the challenging message as well. I was personally encouraged to consider my choices. Am I like Naomi, choosing what's comfortable and known for me? Or am I like Ruth, choosing to trust God even in the unknown? I want to be like Ruth, faithful and trusting. And I was encouraged by your action points too. Move towards God. It's an action of the will. Take a step closer to him. powerful words. Last point is this. I said this last week. The Lord is always at work. The Lord is always at work. He's at work behind the scenes and before the scenes. (laughs) He guided Naomi and Ruth to leave Moab at the right time. He guided them to Bethlehem at the right time, the harvest time, to provide for them. He guided Ruth into Boaz's field at the right time to meet Boaz. He guided Boaz into their lives at the right time, as we'll see in chapters 3 and 4, to further provide for them. God is always at work in your life. We might not see it all the time. I understand that. But He's always working, like I said, behind the scenes and before the scenes to do what He wants to accomplish in your life and in my life. I said last week from Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby's study, see where God is working and join him. He also says in that study, he says you need to put down some spiritual markers. You need to have some spiritual places, some altars, some places where you can go back to and you can look and see God was doing a great work there. I maybe didn't see him up there, but all of a sudden this happened and I recognized, oh, God was doing these things, one, two, three, four, to bring this about. Those spiritual markers we can go back to in our life and say, God, you were faithful to me then. And when I look back and see that you were faithful to me then, I know you'll be faithful to me then in the future too. Go back to those places where you saw his hand. When it seemed to be dark and all of a sudden he opened up the light and he did his work among you and in you and through you because he's done that. In the past, and he will do that today, and he will do that tomorrow for you. You can trust him to do that. Let him break through today. I love that song. Breakthrough. That is such a good song. Let him break through with his amazing today. Just like he did his work right here in guiding Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem. Just like he did in coming back at harvest time. Just like he did in guiding her to the fields and she ends up, she just happened to end up in Boaz's field. And just, Boaz, just happened to show up that day. God was working. God was guiding. And in his grace and in his amazing grace, he was doing his work. That's the story of Jesus Christ. His coming to be with us. His working out this plan to come and to be a part of us, and to put on flesh, and to dwell among us, and to show himself that, yes, he is a good teacher. Yes, He was a healer, but no, He came to be the Savior. That's why He came. And just as we look at this story, we see how God came at the right time, in the Lord's time, and at the harvest time, and at the right time. We see that with what Jesus did. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, Let me take a break here. When the fullness of time, when the right time was for Jesus to come, when when the Father said to Jesus, it's time. Remember I always tell you I know when Jesus is coming back again the second time. When the Father says so, right? (laughs) Whenever that is. But when the Father says, that's what he goes. And that's what happened here. Jesus said, or God said, Father, it's time, the fullness of time. It's the time to go. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, what? Abba! 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 father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It was the right time for Jesus to come. so what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. It, the of time, It was the right time for Him to come. And what do we get now? We get to be the recipients of that. As we invite Christ to be a part of our life, we're adopted into His family. We're His children. Sons and daughters. Isn't he the word daughters? Everybody could put it that way. And now we're part of His family. It was the right time, and now it's time for us today. And that we can say, the Father, and the Spirit of His Son is inside of us. And we have this relationship. That's why we can celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection.